Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway. Nothing's as big as a footlong. No, this isn't Matt Walsh, who is currently whining and dining somewhere overseas, enjoying a well-earned break. I'm Jared Barker, back again for another episode and the substitute host for the day. Christian Jelly from Champion Data with us as always. And it also marks the return of one Jake Michaels, the fan favourite, who has returned from a little break of his own. Welcome back, mate. Good to be back. First episode back in our uh, offices as well in the studio. You guys have been doing it for a couple of weeks, but yeah, it's it's exciting. Very, very exciting times here at ESPN. Were you able to keep track of all things footy while you were... I was. I was watching a lot of the games. I was listening to you boys, um, and yeah, just you got. It's hard not to, you know. You, you've got to. You, you turn your phone on. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, and everything that pops up on your Facebook is footy stuff. So, um, yeah, it was really good. Good to good to get away for a few weeks during the buy rounds, and uh, yeah, really happy to be back and talking footy. Absolutely, uh, plenty of storylines to discuss this week after a mammoth weekend. Of footy, it must be said. We said last week there'd be potentially finals implications during round 15, and there may well have been. So plenty to unpack for you all. But before we get into it, gents, uh, something you notice from round 15. Christian, we might start with you. Yeah, we probably probably expected it, and we were talking about how, how big a weekend it was for finals and final spots. But 14 of the 18 sides actually changed positions on the ladder um, on the, for the weekend. So again, I found that... Found that out a bit too late, so I haven't been able to dig in to find out when's the last round this late in the unusual? season. Yeah, I would have thought it is, but I, I sort of want to run the query of post-round 11, what's the most ladder changes within mm. a week? And I reckon 14 out of 18 will be right up there. It's funny because you look at the ladder throughout the whole in- entirety of this season, and there hasn't been that many changes. You look at the team sort of around the eight, and they're sort of always around the eight, but they're never entrenched inside the top eight. Mm. Same with the sides on no, top I of the ladder. we and... sat here yeah, six weeks ago and said it was Melbourne, Brisbane... And then it was sort of daylight to maybe three or four other teams and it was daylight to the rest. And now the whole competition is just back into being a tight pack again, I think. I think it's it's Melbourne slightly ahead of everyone. And then I think there's about a, a group of nine or ten that can all, you know, genuinely say they're the second best team in it does at it, any given time. On face value, does it mean that we can expect that to happen again? Because if there were 14 changes, it means the ladder's obviously really tight. So one win either way. Um and teams can fall, can jump up. Does that mean? Yeah, I think. You I mean, I, don't, I think we had so many because they all played against each other. So we had a lot of, you know, Geelong yeah. and Richmond being two, three spots off the ladder. Gold Coast, Port, who would, you know, funny. They they were two of the teams that didn't move, but they're one spot away from each other on the ladder. So um, I think we'll be less and less each week. But again, there is this. Again, it's going to be an exciting finish of the year because I think there's plenty of movement on the ladder to be had still. There you go. Funny little quirk, Jake. Well, something I just no, no, hadn't noticed, but just you kind of reminded me then. So Melbourne, so they obviously had that three-game losing streak, which coincided with me being away. I literally came back on Thursday, and what happened Thursday night? They got back on the winners list. So I think I'm Melbourne's good luck charm. You could probably say the same with St Kilda, though. They were winning. True. Uh, That's all right, though. Perhaps. Yeah, well, actually, no, it's not all right because Carlton plays St. Gilda this week. Um, no, but the thing I actually did notice was KO. I don't know if anyone was watching on Sunday afternoon the um, the first game between Cro- the Crows and North Melbourne. I put the put the TV on, put KO on, knew the game was starting at one ten, clicked on the little tile in the on the TV, and it just said starting soon. But the game had started, and for twenty minutes it said starting soon, and I couldn't actually click on and watch the game. And I thought, this can't just be me. So I went on Twitter, and of course, just typed in KO Crows. And there, let's just say there were a few unhappy Adelaide supporters 
abusing the KO support staff. So, yeah, not good, KO, especially when it comes a couple of weeks after you put your bloody prices up. Sort it out. <laughs> Jake goes bang first week back and you're already launching attacks. I can't say I've noticed that. I don't watch too much you don't watch too of much my North... sport on KO. Don't no, yeah. KO specifically. Where do you watch? It's not on KO. Free to wear, Foxtail, just don't use okay. KO. Yeah, fair enough. So not something that I noticed, but something I do notice and did notice on the weekend during the Geelong and Richmond game, uh, the camera angle that was used uh, with the Morris Rioli late goal that he kicked, yeah. so it was ground level. Um, they used it throughout the game. I think they've used it a few times this year in random matches here and there, but yeah, yeah they used it for a Dusty Martin shot, I think. I was going to say the Dusty earlier. one is where I first noticed it, yeah. Yeah, and I think that one worked because the camera was sort of in line with his kick, so you could see the trajectory of the footy a bit better. But the Morris Rioli one, he was sort of on a 45-degree angle, but the camera is obviously beyond the boundary line. I just don't think it worked. So, uh, I don't know, maybe it screams of one of those things. You know how you learn something and you overuse it? Maybe it might be a word yeah. um, for us. Maybe they just discovered, oh, this new ground-level camera angle. At least we didn't have someone's head in the way like Buddy Franklin's thousandth goal. <laughs> no, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. So I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but maybe they just need to pick and choose Gee, their moments, the I think. Good start the broadcasters on the, on the podcast today. That's it. Um, top of the agenda, guys, uh, to get into it, we'll start with Tom Stewart. It's obviously a really big talking point this week, his incident uh, with Dion Prestia from the weekend's game. It probably soured what was arguably the game of the season too. Um if you're listening to this and it's not Tuesday or the verdict is already in, uh, next time listen earlier because we are recording this on Tuesday uh, at midday and nothing has come through yet in terms of a decision, obviously. So at the time of recording, we're sitting here and Tom Stewart is being referred to the tribunal. Uh, the incident was graded as careless conduct with severe impact and high contact. Jake, I just want to ask you where were you were you watching the game what were your thoughts when you saw the incident the late bump on on Dion Prestia and and what are your thoughts now when you unpack it all I was sitting on the couch watching um trying to overcome a little bit of jet lag and I don't know if it was just me being jet lagged or not but when it actually happened in real time I didn't really see it because it kind of happened really fast and it it was a sort of quick sequence of play and then I just saw Prestia on the ground and obviously then saw the replays and I'm not going to stand here and say there was nothing wrong with it. It was a horrible look, and I think he deserves to get three or four weeks suspension. But my first thought was I was surprised, and maybe because we haven't had something of this sort of magnitude this year yet, but I'm surprised with how most media are lumping it in with some of the other incidents, such as uh, Andrew Gaff on Andrew Brayshaw, the punch from a few years ago, uh, and the other one, the um, Jeremy Cameron, Harris Andrews, elbow to the back of the head. Well, it was given severe impact, which you don't see yeah, often with bumps. That's what I mean. So I find, I don't think it's, I don't think it's at that level. I, I really don't think it's at that level. Does he deserve suspension? Absolutely. Um, does he deserve to be sitting out for at least three weeks? Yes. Uh, but I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to say. There's so much, there's so much to unpack from it. Um, but yeah, I think he's got to go. Are, are we surprised that it was graded careless and not intentional? Yeah, I get, I'm, you know, struggle to sort of read and keep up with all the MRO stuff because it's just so confusing and it does my head in. But you're right, that that was the one word that sort of, you know, stuck out to me was it was careless, which, you know, to me would be a swinging arm in a spoil or where you're sort of Mm. doing one Mm. action but another action gets... He was just bumping a player. So he bumped a player and bumped him in the head. That's surely that's intentional. If you intentionally bump, but but they get get concussed and they have to be subbed out of the game, 
that you can't just say, well, he didn't mean that to happen, so that's careless. No, the action itself was the bump, and he intentionally bumped. That's where the interpretation is important, though. So what is careless and what is intentional? Is it the result? So obviously, Tom Stewart didn't mean to concuss Dion Prestia, but he did intend to bump. Yeah. Is that maybe where we're getting confused as well, given that it was great well, careless? Yeah. He went past the footy. Dion Prestia, he tapped the ball onto a teammate, was off the air, and the ball was at least a few metres away when Tom Stewart's so come we, through. We measure the impact as the second step. So it's mm-hmm. it's reckless, you know, and as you said, it's a severe impact or high impact or whatever it was greater for this one. But that's where the, you know, the the collision or, the, you know, the, the yeah, exactly, the, the actual hit and the strength of the hit, that's where that gets graded. But I would have thought the first step is the action that you just performed to injure this player. Was that a careless action Absolutely. or an intentional action? Mm. That was an intentional action to bump. So yeah. that's the first step. And then the second big is how, how big impact was that bump. So, yeah. yeah. And, and we know what's going to happen now. Well, we know what is happening now is that um, is that we're looking at what happened to Dion Prestia. And we should look at what happened to him because mm. that's a result of the action. But that ex- if, if Tom should have done that exact same thing on another day, everything identical, and Dion Prestia gets up and continues playing, he might get a week. Mm. Maybe he gets a fine. That's the that's the fundamental issue with, with this. Forget all the other bits and pieces. And we've been saying this for years on this podcast. The potential to cause, cause injury. It's the, it's the action that needs to be stamped out. You can't control the out the outcome. Look at you know I was watching the, another game, the Sydney St Kilda game, and early on in that one, uh, Zach Jones came up and laid a bump, not too dissimilar to to the other one, uh, to to Tom Stewart on Luke Parker, and Parker went down, looked a bit dazed, but got back up straight away and kept playing. I, not, I have not heard one person talk about that at all. That's the problem, in my opinion, is that we focus too much on what happens to the player in the aftermath rather than actually looking at the action itself. There is an element of the Luke Parker one where he, people say, you know, he, he tried to stand his ground. There was nothing else that he could do other than wear that contact that was coming to him. Um, same with yeah, I'm not Zach saying Jones's I'm case. not saying Zach Jones deserves to get four weeks suspension. Of course, he doesn't. But it's also not to the point where it's like, well, that's completely... He completely doesn't. He doesn't have a case to answer at all. Whereas the other one is a thousand times worse. They're much closer in terms of severity than what the majority of the media will make it out to be. What will surprise you, you guys, in terms of a suspension that's handed down now? Because another example, Paddy Ryder, early in the season, um, one where I say, like just before, he was trying to stand his ground. I think it was against the Hawks. It was a Hawks player who. I uh, was on the receiving end of a Paddy Ryder bump. He copped two weeks. Um, the argument, I guess, from St Kilda was there wasn't much that he could have done. What will surprise you in terms of a sanction for Tom Stewart? If there is a a two-week, a four-week, a six-week suspension, what is it that's going to surprise you? I'd be more surprised if it was if it was two weeks than it, if it was five. Remembering that it's careless... Severe, but and I, high. I, I think, I think it will be. I think he'll get four. I think he'll get four, four, which is four's the, the most likely. I'd say then three, which is the confusing like. part as well. Because if it's graded as intentional, severe yeah. impact, high contact, that would constitute a four-week suspension referred to tribunal. Because it was careless, it's a three-week and referred to tribunal. Do we think three-week suffices? Uh, that's where I was sort of leading towards. I was going to say the surprising number for me would be as low as one or as high as five. Um, you know, I'm landing on three, but two, three, or four wouldn't surprise me. I think two is a bit lenient. I think two. I is, think so too, I but still wouldn't surprise lenient. me just because yeah. of the how they've sort of set it up yeah. with the 
with the uh... yeah. And the other thing is, which I which kind of irks me a little too, and I know people will say, well, this is how the law works in all walks of life, but I think we also put a little too much weight in the fact that, oh, well, Tom Stewart's a great bloke and he's never done this before. Well, I'm sorry, but he just did this. So why are we let? Why should that come into play and say, well, he hasn't done it before? There's, of course, no matter who you are, there's always Toby Green had a first incident. They've every player's had a first incident of, of of serious magnitude, and I don't think it should be taken. I don't think it then warrants dropping him, him from four to two or five to three or something like that. He's done it. They're, they're, you can't dispute it. It's on. It's on tape. We've got it, and I think he's got to cop cop the fair whack. I, I'm I'd be disappointed if he didn't get. If he didn't get three or four, if he if he was to get two weeks, I'd be very disappointed with the system. I think it needs to be at least three, and I don't think the character of the player needs to be taken into consideration, as you said, Jake. Uh, certainly not as like certainly this. not as much um, as what other people are, are claiming. I can understand, like if a player's played two hundred games and never once done anything, and they can sort of it, it can be referenced, and it can sort of take you know it might it might be the difference in a week, but you know the, what what people are saying, the the focus is almost on Tom Stewart and how. How you know upset and how disappointed he is with himself, as opposed to what about Dion Prestia that just got knocked out and now he's going to miss a game anyway, maybe longer. Who we don't know. You know we haven't heard about Dion Prestia yet. At least I haven't. And how do we know he's going to come? People think oh he's been concussed, so he misses a week, comes back. He might not come back this year. Mm. How do we know? So yeah, I don't like the idea of of Tom Stewart getting anything less than three weeks. The other element to this is the the discussion which sort of comes up maybe once every couple of years when a, a heavy incident like this does occur on the field. Uh, it is the send-off rule or a red, old a red, red card. card type see, of see, argument. See, we need, we need uh, Matt Walsh here because he is a massive fan of he the did. red and card. And he wrote a good article about this on ESPN.com.au a few years ago, yep. I think after the Andrew Gaffin uh, Brayshaw incident in yep. 2018, I think it was. Yeah. Um, Again, yep, made some compelling arguments if you wanted to go back and, and read that one. But where do you all sit when it comes to a send-off rule in the AFL? It's Again, it comes up once in a blue moon, but will it work? Does it work? Should we implement a send-off rule? I Personally, I don't think we should. Um, again, I think there's too many rules as it is. I think we speak about how hard it is. We spoke three weeks ago how hard it is for the umpires to get things right. And I could just see this rule leading to more grey areas than black and white areas. It's going to be... The first guy that gets sent off, we're going to have 10 examples of ones that they haven't sent off the week before, so that's why they got it wrong, or they'll send someone off and he'll get, you know, given, um, you know, a fine by the tribunal or something, it all won't, all won't make sense. So I think it's a, it's it's too big a step for me, I think, to introduce to the game of actually kicking a player out if for an incident that happens in the first or second quarter. Um, so yeah, it's a, probably a hard no from me. And again, it's it's cyclical. It's as he said, Matt wrote the article three years ago. We don't talk about this every week. It's not every week mm, we come in. Go, geez, geez, you know, another guy got hit behind play. We really need to send people off. If we're only bringing this article up every three or four years, then I don't think we have a big problem in the game of you know cheap shots and sniper shots happening behind play. Yeah. That's where I'd see people getting sent off for. I, I I just don't think we have a big enough problem in the game to be sending people off champion data's finest is against it i know you have a counter argument jake I, i'm not completely I, averse to it i just don't think it's anywhere near as easy to implement as people say it is so i need some convincing yeah jake. i think i'm somewhere between christian and matt you know matt's very much for it and i can understand i can see the arguments both sides we already have the game has so many rules and how how every year whether it's 666 the stand whatever it is people are always whinging about more rules i don't want more rules this is just going to be another rule adjudication where it's so subjective and as Christian said you're going to be looking at all these different things saying well why was that not a red card why was this 
Plus, the, don't even get me started on the logistics of how you'd actually do it. Who's making the decision? The umpires can't. I mean, the, the, ump, the umpires could be 50 metres away from an incident and not even see it. What if someone gets punched or punched in the head off the ball and it's it, not even if, seen by an umpire? If it's introduced, it cannot be the umpires. So, there's a lot of issues there. Forget all that. My The one thing that bugs me with it and has always bugged me with this type of issue in the AFL, which is different to pretty much every other sport, is that in that, in that moment where Stuart knocked Prestia out Geelong were at a significant advantage not the three not just the three minutes that, that Richmond were playing a man down but the fact that Richmond had to sub out one of their best players um, certainly one of their best players of the last few weeks he's been fantastic Prestia um, and and then sub on a player forget that it was Ivan Solder could have been anybody it doesn't matter who was the sub coming on the point is the sub coming on is not, a, not as good a player as Prestia that's just the reality of being in the best 22 so Geelong's at an advantage. Yes, Stewart will get suspended in the future, but we always go back to what if this was a grand final? If that's a grand final, who cares if he gets a 10-week suspension? They're at an advantage right there, and I, it doesn't sit well with me that the team that committed that act is advantage for it. Then might not always be advantage. So in the Richmond Geelong case... it's always an advantage. How can it not always be an advantage? I just don't know how it can work. Obviously, Richmond would rather play with Dion Prestia in that team. He's an absolute star, one of their best players, clearly. And probably changed a little bit of the dynamics of that game too because he was on his way to having a, a strong performance which Tom Stewart actually ironically went on to have. Yeah, I just think it needs to be reserved for the more brutal, cowardly acts and I know that this is a, a bad look. You, are you talking about the red card? Yes, the, the send-off specifically. Yeah. So, so, if, so you're saying if we did have the red card send-off, you w- still wouldn't want Stewart send-off for what he did? Would you have sent... Stuart off yes or no if you're not going to send Stuart off for that then what's the point in having it so because what, what are you you're just waiting for a Barry why, so why, situation why are you the counter argument is why are you sending him off is it because Dion Prestia was concussed and had to leave the field so you need to level the playing field in my opinion it's the act it's the it's the jumping bumping so I, and in my opinion it is intentional I know it's graded as careless but if you're jumping and bumping and, and hip and shouldering someone like that that isn't bracing for the contact. The yeah, fairness, that, the fairness that's argument, and that, the fairness that, argument, I just don't think will work because players will get injured. We have a medical substitute, and this is why because players are going to be. I understand that, but but do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, why should why should Richmond be penalised for Geelong for a Geelong player committing that bump? Yep. That's where it bothers me, and 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 then you can also say, well, if it was a grand final, does Tom Stewart win? A Norm Smith medal. So how how does this logistically work in your mind then? Is it is there an external party? Maybe they're at AFL House. It's like the Ark, where they review everything. They're looking <laughs> at the arcs. screen. <laughs> uh, they're looking at the incident through all these camera angles. Maybe like, it when, is the Ark. How do they make the decision? When do they make the decision? What happens if? I mean, we all see how long they take to deliberate. Yeah, at look, the tribunal sometimes. Look at VAR. It takes look at VAR. You're you're a football fan. Look at VAR. When that sort of stuff, people were like, "This is like comical. This looks ridiculous." Now we now we're kind of just already used to it. It hasn't really been that long. I'm not saying we we stop the game and all the umpires run over to a monitor and check things. I, I'm kind of with you. Someone said before. I'm not sure who said it. But the umpires probably need to stay away because there's so much other stuff. And it is a big field. Of, no other sport really has, is on such a massive. Feel where there's so many people out there at one time, but if but but that's what that's what's going to stop 
the AFL from ever introducing it because I think it's just too hard to police it. And then where? What's the line? But mm. if they did have it, yes, Tom, the Tom Stewart level incident is probably where you start sending people off. You don't send someone off if it's like, uh, he'll probably get a week for that. It's got to be a anything that's a straight to tribunal. I'm happy with that. And this is the problem with the subjectivity off. of it as well. And what's in my eyes going to create a lot of conjecture is because we are going to get someone sent off eventually where regretfully after the game they're going to say hey you know what we probably got that one wrong and then all of a sudden that team that and that's why sent off and that's why i don't think disadvantage that you're saying that's why i don't think it will happen and and to christian's point it's not as if we have a, a stewart like bump every game we we've we may have something like this once a year and that's why i think we're getting a bit of an overreaction as i said off the top why we're lumping this in with some of the other more extreme incidents because it's almost like we we haven't had this yet and now it's like oh we're going to compare it to this and that which I think are worse it's really bad it's a horrible look he will get suspended for three or four weeks but it's not the worst thing I've seen on a football field yeah, I think that the real cowardly non-football acts I think it can be reserved for four but again it's it's all the grey areas as Christian mentioned before as well I just don't know how this can actually work in a game of footy in such a fast-paced sport um, yeah, again, it's a very interesting discussion. What if they take two hours or an hour and a half to make a decision? Well, the incident's in the first quarter. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Say, what if there's a 20 minutes concussion test? So Prestia goes down, but he's not as clearly as concussed as he was, but he yeah. gets subbed out 20 minutes later and they go, actually, he has got a pretty bad brain injury from that bump. But oh, again, we didn't we know when be, it happened. If we, he got up, if he wasn't concussed and he got up and played, does that bump still constitute in your mind yes, a send off? Because I've always said it's the, it's the action, not the outcome. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of Tom Stewart, as I said before, he played a ripper of a game. Probably best good. on ground. Yeah, you're he was the, fantastic. You're the brains and the guru behind ESPN's Brownlow predictor. Did you That's and would you have? You. <laughs> would you have given him the three votes? And did you? Uh, I'm pretty sure I gave him three or two point five with the, with the way I do my my voting. Yeah, he was the best player on the ground. Um, the I may have given him two point five now that I'm trying to think back, purely because. I wonder if the umpires will take that into consideration. Um, they would, shouldn't. Would they? Because the umpires vote on the... So the Brownlow medal is the best and fairest in the league. The umpires vote on the best three players in each game. 3-2-1, obviously, we all know that. The fairest element is we get to the end of the season, who has the most votes, and of those players, who has not been suspended? That's where the fairest element comes in. Now, with the Norm Smith medal, it's different. The Norm Smith medal is just the best field in the grand final. It's got nothing to do with fairness. So if Tom Stewart could go and do that to Bolton, to Martin, to Brestia, still do have that game, and he's still the best player on the ground. It's got nothing to do with fairness. But are people going to vote for him? Because in the back of your mind, you know what he's done. Would you give him the Norm Smith medal if that was the grand final? If that final? was the grand final, he was the best player on the ground. Geelong win the game, he gets the Norm Smith medal. Okay. Yes, I, I I think that's right, but it but does it sit right with people? Probably not. I'm, I'm with you. I think yeah, happy for him to get the medal. I'm just very surprised that the umpires don't have a fairest sort of. But that's what I'm a, saying. It, but when they're so- voting on the actual day, like when they're giving their three, two, one, isn't it? Who was the best and fairest in this game? I'm it's, surprised to hear that their mindset it, but, is just yeah, who was the best. But given everything but happens it, under it, their nose, it'd be hard not to take that into consideration, even if you're not, even if you're just picking the best three players. It's hard not to take that into consideration when you think Tom Stewart was. If you got two players, if it's Tom Stewart and Tyson Stengel or Jeremy Cameron or whoever else played played well, and you're like, who are we giving the three to? That might knock him down from three to two. Um, but you can't just say, well, Tom Stewart, he's, we know he's going to get suspended. We know he can't win the Brownlow anymore. 
Well, what's the point of giving him any votes? Well, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm happy in a game where if you get reported, you can't be you can't be one of the three, two, one best and fairest but players if you get, in that game. What if you get reported and then you don't end up getting suspended from? That's what I'm saying, but the reports are so rare now Reporting, that usually report, reports means you've done something yeah. a bit dodgy. Like you, you report, you, there's never been an innocent bloke that was just standing on the wing doing nothing that got yeah. reported. Went, hang on, I was nowhere near the ball. You've it usually is funny, done though, something in this, to get looked in this, at. Era like day and age where they say they kind of to tell them the truth, they take their number down and they report them. It's like, okay, there's a thousand cameras that would have picked that up, and we don't even know what happened. But I yeah. think we'll be watching this game pretty closely on Brownlow night to we see will. what the umpires were thinking and whether they took it into consideration. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how they go. I think there was no other player that really stood out. I think Stengel was good late. Cameron was good early and throughout. Um, Thought Liam Baker played really well too, but I don't think there was any player that was as good or better than Tom Stewart. So I'm pretty comfortable with him getting the three votes. But yeah, it's it's interesting now. Like going forward with with Geelong, when he comes back, if Ge- if if he comes back in round twenty and plays a blinder again, the umpires still have to give him the votes. It's like any any player that's been suspended, um, you can't then say, well, he he can't win it. So instead of giving him the th- the three we're now going to give Jeremy Cameron the three, and and push everyone up a slot. No, you you have to still give three, two, one. So otherwise, it, it compromises the whole award. Shameless plug. How is the Brownlow voting going for you? It's going good. It's it was. I'm not going to lie. It's a little tough to do when you're overseas. So I was watching. I had to watch a lot of games um, and keep an eye on pretty much everything that was happening, which uh, made me very tired, but still enjoyed doing it. And um, yeah, it's going well. So. Don't who's, if, who's leading after fifteen rounds? Well, we've got uh, we've got Lockie Neal, Andy Brayshaw on twenty two point five, and we've got Clayton Oliver on twenty two. So is that is that high for fifteen games? Does it sort of compare to last year? Because last year we had a lot of players over thirty in the end. We did. We I had someone calling me a nuffy because I had four players uh, with thirty plus votes, and they said that'll never happen, never happen in history. And it what actually happened? It did happen. Um, yeah, but it, I wouldn't say it's high. Probably a few, probably five, six weeks ago, we had quite a few players in the high teens already, and I thought we had. At one point, we had Lockie Neal and Patrick Cripps sort of on track for forty, which was pretty crazy. Um, let's slow down a bit. I still think the winner's probably going to poll about 34, 34, 35 votes, which is starting to become the norm. We saw that with Ollie Wines last year. I think thirty six. Yep. Uh, 36 votes. So, yeah, it's going well. It's tight. It's going to be another great count, I think. Is there a player that we need to keep an eye on for the last half of the season? Sam Walsh, I reckon. Um, all the talk at the Carlton was on Patrick Cripps early, and he was fantastic. Probably best on ground in five of the first six games or something like that. Um, Walsh obviously missed the first couple of games through injury, came back. Um, certainly wasn't poor when he came back, but just was probably getting overshadowed by Cripps um, and some of the other players in the team. But the last few weeks, he's really got going. Um, it's probably since about round eight, round nine, he's really started getting going. And I've got him, he's climbed up. I think I've got him on 16 votes now. So he's really starting to close close the gap. And he was fantastic on the weekend. First, first That surprised me. Did it surprise you? That was his first 40 disposal game? Yeah, it did a little bit. I mean, he's... he's... It did. I mean, he's not he's not a huge ball man. He's not a big one-two player. He usually gets the ball and gets it out of his area pretty quick. But... I mean, he's getting he's getting the forty as well. He's not even a genuine midfield. He's spending almost forty percent mm. coming off the half forward flank. So they found this really nice role for him, where he almost comes into the midfield as incognito and yep. just picks up the ball and sort of gets touches because he's not actually starting in there. Yeah, he's the one I'd be I'd be keeping a little a close eye on because we know he polls well. Last year he polled thirty, as mm. I said, um, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up somewhere around that mark again. With certainly with the way Carlton's playing, 
Um, Patrick Cripps getting a lot of the attention, him excelling in this role. And yeah, it's uh, certainly one to keep an eye on. And you can keep an eye on our Brownlow tracker, ESPN.com.au again. How many of how many winners have you got now in a row? Seven of eight. There you go. Yes. Way, way to pump up your own tyres, mate. <laughs> uh, guys, we need to chat Brisbane because they were awful, it must be said, on, on Thursday night. I think they're a team that sort of teased us. They, they're clearly on paper a top four team. They look a top four team. Um, we know how heavily they can score. A lot of prowess up forward. Mm. But at times, that leaves them a little bit hanging defensively. And even in games that they've won this year, they've still conceded high scores. So yeah. on Thursday night, we saw them kick the first three goals and then they conceded, I think, something like... 14 goals thereafter only kicked four goals themselves uh, it could have been a lot worse I think Melbourne had 31 scoring shots in the final three quarters are we concerned with with Brisbane especially with their form at the MCG they need a win at the MCG to win a flag like, is this going to be a wasted era are we concerned with the way that they've performed one in, in big games in finals in the past we know that their record isn't great but two they had a massive test this week and they sort of failed the assignment yeah I I mean, I still want to go into bat for them for the last two years of finals. And again, we speak a lot about their finals performances were actually quite good. They've, they've won a lot of sort of the territory game, but their accuracy, they just got killed in a couple of the finals they lost where they just could not kick a goal to save themselves and their opposition could not yeah. miss. So I don't think we've seen Brisbane falter in uh, too many big games. Um, where just, they've just been purely unlucky. But again, the one that I looked at, and you just mentioned it there, there is that chink in their armour this year in terms of when you're trying to measure them against other successful, other premiership teams even, it's their defence that they're lacking. So they're ninth for points against. Um, last 10 premiers have been in the top six for that, so they're just slightly outside. In ninth, uh, same for opposition scoring once inside 50. They're the eighth, um, uh, eighth best at stopping a team from scoring inside 50. Again, need to be top six. Um to be a premiership contender in that. And it points against from turnovers, they're seventh, which again, need to be top six. So they're only one spot out of it. But again, for a team that's been almost top two uh, exclusively all year, when you do look at their premiership profile, the, the one chink in their armour is, okay, can they really get it done, shut down defensively? And you're right, mm. the, the 31 scoring shots from Melbourne, they just they mm. just couldn't stop Melbourne from getting it forward and almost scoring at will. It's just Melbourne just could not kick straight. So is that reminiscent of their form in finals so they've made finals now what what is it the last four or five years that they've uh, made finals but last four years i think yeah and there you go so and how many of those have they won i think it's only yeah one. but they haven't been brought out of the water so again and they've again won we, one final one mm. of the last six finals yeah. yeah and i think the other the other point you made there about the mcg i think that almost with cove in the last two years they're not coming here when i uh, stumbled across that stat before the game um last thursday that they they were nine in a row lost at the g so that hasn't been yeah spoken about enough they're now 10 in a row at the G they haven't won there since about 2004 but there's a reason it's not spoken about much because they don't play there much this correct, is correct th- but and but they I need to win now them. that they're a premiership contender it now needs to just be put on the agenda that, hey you're a premiership contender but you haven't won at this venue in, yeah. in so long like um and as I said, like yeah, it's one, it's one of the worst tutors I think we do, can do we know if they play there again in the home and away season I don't think they do yeah no. I don't think they have to go there not until final. Because they usually only play there once, once a year, twice max. So that, so the, so the ten game streak probably stretches back about eight years ago. So yeah, but a couple that, of, again, a couple of those were Melbourne um, Wooden Spooners. True. Um, I think I also saw there was another game um, against Carlton or Collingwood when they were sort of bottom three, bottom four. So they haven't been playing mm. the best teams at the G. True. Um, but it is. I think it's just one of those ones that now that we sort of get closer to the finals, I think the question has to be asked: Can Brisbane win? At the one venue you have to win at. Are they, the, are they the, the premiership contender that we are most concerned with now because of their poor record at the G and knowing that they need to win there? But as well, well as the fact that they are conceding heavy scores regardless. 
I, I don't know because you when you introduced this top, this segment, you were talking about Brisbane. Are oh, you know we talk about them as top. They are third on the ladder. They're not ninth, and they're playing poorly. They've had it's one still a problem bad that game they would this like year. to fix. I don't they think Chris Fagan will be. No, he, they're not. Out. No one's going to leave the MCG happy getting belted by ten goals to Melbourne. Like that's a, that was. That's the game that you measure yourself against, and as you said, it's, they get they might get one opportunity to play at the MCG, and they let, really let themselves down. But I don't really look at them, and I don't look at them that much different after and think, oh my god, they can't win the flat. They're awful. I think mm. they just had a bad game. There's no team in the league that hasn't had at least one bad game this year. So that was one. You know, they Geelong's the other team that that is, I think, you know, it's it's Melbourne, Geelong. And Brisbane, and probably most people would say they're the kind of the three best teams. Um, and you know they played Geelong in Geelong. And I think they lost by ten points in a really, really close game. So you can, yes, you can look at the win-loss ledger and say, oh, they're not beating the teams. But aside from that one against Melbourne, they're not exactly getting blown out. And to Christian's point, we we spoke about this last year with the finals of Brisbane. I think you don't like using luck and uh, you know luck in in sport because it a lot of the time doesn't really apply. But they, they've been unlucky in the I don't, finals. Yeah, I don't think in any of those finals they've walked away saying, geez, we were just beaten by a better... Yeah. Th- you know, we were blown out of the water. We weren't good enough today. It was like, geez, we almost had that. And that's yeah. been, you know, they've almost said that five times. So is, that, is there a mental years. edge aspect to it then? It, well, the longer it goes on, there will become a mental part of it where where you start thinking how we... we we're playing... We're not playing... Po- when you're playing poorly, you know, okay, we played bad. We can play better next week. When you're playing well and you're still only winning one of six and... You, you, you know your opposition's kicking goals from everywhere, and you're missing shots that you'd kick nine times out of ten. That's got to start playing a mental role at some point. Um, but but the thing that really surprised me with Brisbane, just looking at some really basic stuff this morning, was so they so it's eighty points a game they're conceding this year. Last year it was seventy four. So that's that's a goal. That's a that's that's a fair bit. But go back to twenty twenty where they were playing great football. But yes, it's shortened quarters. That was fifty seven points. They were only conceding fifty-seven points a game. Yes, mm. it's shortened quarters, but not that. But but I don't know what that scales up to. Maybe mid sixties, mid to high sixties. So so almost in the last two years, they're conceding an extra goal each year. So they're they're conceding basically two goals more per game from what they were back in twenty twenty, which is that's a lot. And again, that's concerning. It, it's probably offset by the fact that they have a really potent forward line. So yeah. Danaher, Hipwood, McStay, McCarthy. But you don't want to have to rely on winning shootouts all the time. Which is what is going to bring them undone. I worry in finals, and I worry that it's going to be a wasted era. I think 2020 was probably their best chance at taking it when the season was played up in Brisbane. Mm. Um, but that was a different pressure than a normal season. And, and again, they didn't handle it, though. I know it's hard for all teams, but what 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 is it, Christian? So... As I said, the personnel is there. So Gardner didn't play on the week, on uh, Thursday night, which will help him for a bit of stability. Harris Andrews, we know his quality. Starsevich, Marcus Adams is no slouch. He's a good player. They've got a good defense on paper. So where is it that they actually do fall away defensively? Is it their midfield that's not working well, hard enough defensively? Again, they've got some pretty good defensive pressure players as well. I know Jared Lyons probably sort of underrated for what he does. I know Dane Zorko hasn't been there in the midfield all season, but he's pretty good at chasing guys down and running them down so it's it again it doesn't seem like an easy fix or it's just you know got to find five or six more players to apply more pressure because their their pressure uh signature if you like is very similar to all the other teams they have very high pressure players then they have the outside ball winners that don't need to put pressure on so i don't think you can look at it and just say yeah it's, it's just about players doing it more it's it'd be more of a system-based thing and as 
sort of spoke about on the pod previously with Chris Fagan. He's had these issues previously. He had, um, I think it was two or three years ago, where they just couldn't move the ball out of the back line. They, you know, they were winning games, but if they were getting, conceding an inside 50, they just couldn't mm. score from down back. He fixed that over a buy round. They became like the third best scoring team from the back half, leading into finals two or three years ago. Um, then there was the uh, last year or two years ago, post clearance uh, contested possession count. They were losing. They were sort of doing okay in the contested possessions, but when you drilled down, they were losing a lot of in general play. They came along and fixed that. So again, I, I'm not, I haven't sat there and studied all the vision and things like that, but I can assure you that Chris Fagan will know that. Hey, the only area we're lacking compared to the rest of the Premiership, you know, teams is probably our defence, and he'll find a way to fix it. But again, I don't think it's an easy fix. Of they've just got to try harder, or they've just got to find another key defender. Um, because as you said, the personnel and their setup is is working perfectly for them. It's just when it comes up against, and it is, it's it's the teams like Melbourne, Brisbane. Um, you know, I know Carlton can be a high scoring team. We haven't seen it yet, but they're the teams that will trouble Brisbane, the ones that want to go fast and score a lot. But then we look at some of the other teams up there. I mean, even with someone like Frio, Frio Brisbane could just be, you know, Brisbane won't need to sort of worry too much about attack trying to beat Frio. So if that's their week one of finals, it's almost like well, their offensive game will beat Frio's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's going to come down to yeah the, the the teams like Melbourne that are just so good defensively that can turn it on the other ways. The ones that Brisbane are having trouble with. A venue hoodoo's a real thing. So it's eight years now without a win at the G for the Lions. Ten games in a row they've lost there. Are, are there any other venue hoodoo's that teams currently have right now are struggling with? Yeah, well I went through and it's um I mean Brisbane own the worst uh, hoodoo at the moment of current hoodoos and that's at GMHBA Stadium um, 13 losses in a row so we talk about the 10 losses at the G they've also lost 13 at uh, GMHBA Stadium but I mean if you talk about hoodoos it's a thing at GMHBA so if you look at the current longest hoodoos it's Brisbane at GMHBA 13 straight losses Adelaide at GMHBA 12 straight losses Brisbane at the MCG as we just spoke about 10 straight St Kilda at GMHBA 10 straight Bulldogs at GMHBA, 10 straight. Gold Coast at GMHBA, 8 straight. Port Adelaide at GMHBA, 8 straight. These are all current. West Coast Eagles at GMHBA, 8 straight. St Kilda at SCG, 7 straight. So that's another one from the weekend that, you know, we all spoke about Brisbane's uh, hoodoo, but St Kilda just lost another game at the SCG. And an interesting one, the only other one that's on 7 is North Melbourne at Metricon. So Gold Coast have built up a fortress against North <laughs> Melbourne up there, but did you say, uh, sorry, did GMHBA you, is just unfair, isn't it? Did you say Gold Coast uh, at Adelaide Oval? Because I did hear them say during the call uh, on Sunday that Gold Coast had never won there. Must be they must have played seven. The Adelaide Ovals, what's that? I guess they're four yeah, or five years, oh, yeah. so there might just be it yeah. might be six. Oh, I cut it but off both at seven. Teams, I guess. Yeah, they're probably. But that, that's the other one that got me is, and I brought this up on the pod a few weeks ago as well. Port Adelaide have beaten Gold Coast once again, so the first ever team Gold Coast beat was Port Adelaide, and they can't beat them. And since. I feel like it's a Geelong Hawthorne type. Yeah. We're never losing to this team again, <laughs> and, and Port Adelaide have uh, bunkered down. But um, yeah, went back and looked at the all-time uh, longest to do. And it must have been hard for a Sydney supporter. So Princess Park, good old Princess Park, I think was Carlton's main home ground in the 60s, 70s and 80s. But I think Fitzroy and Hawthorne also joined them out there for a while. 34 straight losses for Sydney Jeez, at Princess Park. 1963 to 1987 that lasted. Up. So uh, insane, the 13 in a row at GMHBA Stadium isn't too bad compared to the 34 over 20 odd years. So they got 20 more years up their sleeve, Brisbane. Wow. Before they need a probably win one and, and break the uh, infamous record there. I was expecting you to say someone like university or something. Well, so. they're, they're third. <laughs> university are 28 straight at the MCG, and it's funny because the, <laughs> the way my spreadsheet was set up, it was current and non-current, and it came up as university still being current because they haven't 
sort of, you know, having like yeah, ended. they haven't ended their streak. So it's the current streak of 28 straight losses at the MCG. That's so cool. we need to get them back and there you go. get them playing maybe North Melbourne at the MCG. Um, just before we move on, yes. on last thing on Brisbane, they're going to make top four. I think they're still they're still alive to make top two. Yep. And I would not be surprised if they just managed to turn, to flick a switch and things click in the finals and they go on a run. Could be a wake up call for them. I don't even necessarily think it could be a wake up call. I just I think we're too reactionary with with a one loss. We 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 look at it and think, oh my god, they're awful. They can't, they're 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 no, that's not going to happen at all. They're not going to have to. They're probably not going to have to play at the MCG until the, until grand final day if they get there, and that would be a concern. Well, they've got a big game this week against the Dogs, but another team that has a massive game, especially in the scope of their season, uh, is St Kilda. So that's oh. three losses in a row now after they were in the top four. Um, some people I heard saying were probably a minor premiership chance. They were playing that good a brand of footy at the time, but no, it's three consecutive losses now for the Saints. Again, they were another team that were just appalling against the Swans. They looked pretty slow. They looked lethargic, um, almost too methodical at times. They were they kicking it like to stagnant Saint, They forwards. looked like the Saints of old. Didn't they? Um, could we foresee this coming? Because as I said, Christian, one month ago, they were absolutely flying. But now, it is a stark contrast between the style of footy that they're playing. Yeah, and you're, again, we just sat here and spoke about Brisbane. Good team. You know, and Jake just summed it up. They're going to finish top two, top four. But we're sort of looking at chinks in their armour and saying, well, what are they not sort of stacking up in? Again, there's nothing that St Kilda you sort of looked at in their early season form and thought, geez, that's a worry. And if it, you know, if it comes back to bite them, they're going to start losing a few games because the way they've dropped their last three games, I mean, they've just, they've become almost the worst team in the competition across the last three weeks. So they're 18th for points four and scoring per, scoring per inside 50. They were ninth and fourth in those two stats before their losses. Uh, 15th for points again. So again, conceding the fourth most points, they were third, uh, third best um, before their three losses. It's just incredible. Yeah, contested possession differential, 13th, oh, from 4th down to 13th. Um, opposition going from end to end, they were the third best team at stopping that. They're now they're the 18th, or the easiest team for teams to go end to end. So it's not ball in hand, they're doing less with it. And mm. then when they don't have the ball, they're just actually letting the opposition get through more. So in that three-week period, as I said, their numbers are starting. There's a lot of 18th, 17th, and 16th where they're down with West Coast and North Melbourne. Yeah, uh, right. type numbers there's no way anyone could have foreshadowed that looking at is there anything you can put it down to or is it maybe again a, it's, it's the, the numbers are, the numbers it? are so stark it's just like have they had a happened? game plan just out of out of absolutely nowhere that Brett Ratton thought maybe if we want to take the next step we've got to change something up like is there anything that you can see may have changed yeah, not the, yeah game style again they're, they're they're on the back foot a lot more obviously so you say mm. game style is going to slightly change but no there's nothing that says they've They've avoided the corridor and they're now going boundary, or they've you know made a change that they're switching up to be more concerned with pre-clearance than post-clearance. Yeah, all the all the stand numbers sort of you know they don't scream out or shout out you know structure changes or um, philosophy changes. It's just that they are seriously just getting walloped in all mm. parts of the game. They're not getting their hands to the ball. They're not moving the ball well, and they're not stopping ball movement when the opposition gets it. It doesn't read well, and I. If you look at their run home, Jake, I'm not sure how many games you think they're going to win for the rest of the season. They've got Carlton, Fremantle, Bulldogs, West Coast away, probably the only really winnable one of those that you would tip them. Yeah, I mean, West Coast starting to look somewhat competitive now. (laughs) And it's at Optus Stadium as well. They've got Hawthorne, Geelong at GMHBA, uh, Brisbane and Sydney. So it's not an easy run. It's a really hard run home. And I think this week, this uh, Friday night, they play Carlton and... That's the season. 
That is the season right there. If the Saints lose to Carlton, with that run home, it's over. Do they have the most to lose this weekend? They do. They have They have their season is on the line this weekend, and that's why I think St Kilda is a real live chance to beat Carlton. I, I think that's my, that's my best value underdog of the week is the Saints. I know how poor they've been, but... It's amazing what clubs and players can do when they when the when the pressure's on and when the whole season's on the line. It's a big oh. call because the Blues are flying at the moment. They are flying, but you, you look at the def- the defense is absolutely just there's just no defense. It's just it's, uh, one of our colleagues this morning was showing us a, a best eighteen of Carlton's injured players at the moment. It's actually it's insane. Well, they're undermanned and they're still performing. They are. They are. Perfor- I thought the win against Fremantle was was an incredible win. I, I don't, I've been saying it for a while. I'm not as hot on Fremantle as some other people, but there's no doubt that was an amazing win. Um, and to keep them to fifty something points was mm. pretty pretty solid as well. But I, I just think this is a real danger game for Carlton. St Kilda. I know. I think we won two of the last three against them, but prior to that, we I think we lost five or six straight. So St Kilda generally play well against Carlton. And yeah, as I said, with the season on the line. It's a danger game for the Blues. So the Blues are undermanned, but it didn't really worry them against Fremantle. Now, the Dockers aren't notorious for being a high-scoring team necessarily, so it could have just been a good matchup. But you have to like what the Blues are doing. Uh, in contrast to them, the Dockers were quite awful. So from one disappointing team to another, I know this is a really negative-sounding uh, <laughs> podcast so far, uh, but the Dockers, Christian, have you done some digging on, on their season and their performance against Carlton? I mean... Why was it that they were able to be overrun like they were? Yeah, it was. It started early too. I was uh, actually working on a VFL game at the same time, so I sort of just had the stats. And the one number that I kept looking at, I think Carlton had 24 of the first 32 inside 50s in that game. So it was just complete one-way traffic, mm-hmm. uh, something you don't see against Frio. That Frio are really, really good at sort of shutting the game down and getting it back on their terms if they do see them slipping out of hand. And I was just waiting for the, for Freo to rectify that, and it sort of it didn't happen until late in the second quarter where they started to get a few uh, three or four inside fifties in a row. But again, looking at Freo and even looking at wins versus losses, um, I mean, yeah, if you look at points conceded in wins versus losses, I think they're the second best in wins and the fifth best in losses. So they don't really get scored heavily against when they lose, and they don't sort of there's you know they're um, they're not so miserly in defence when they win that that's what they're relying on, but it really is at their attacking end of the field. So in their wins, they've scored 94 points per game, which is ranked fourth. In their losses, they've scored 45.5 points per game, which is 18th across those rounds. Um, and yeah, just being able to score from their forward 50 entries. So again, not too much changes in terms of their opposition's ability to score once inside 50. Frio are just really, really good at stopping you from scoring. But when they get it down their end, in wins, they've scored 47% of entries. In losses, they've scored from 26%, which again is 18th and is well below the the usual 33 or 34% that an 18th team would rank in. So it clearly is when when they just can't kick the score on the scoreboard, that's their their biggest problem. I think that's what Jake's been big on all year and a couple of guys in my office as well in terms of just having those star players that can step up. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we've seen, yes, you you love having your key forwards, but if you think of all the... um, previously well, previous premiers in in recent years it's it's the guys like dusty um i know geelong haven't won one but dangerfield can kick you three or four um matt fife can be that player yeah but, back to his i best. mean but yeah hasn't been yet so i don't know I'm not sure if he's kicked a goal this year across his first two games but yeah it's probably the one thing they're lacking in terms of and that's why i've been big on them because their defense and their team structure doesn't seem that they haven't had a 
probably haven't had a bad game. They've probably had a couple of bad quarters defensive-wise, but they've been pretty good defensively across four quarters and across you know every game this year, which I think is harder to do. But again, the first thing you not notice when they when they don't win is because they can't even score fifty points in a game. They're probably the team that Jake thinks is most vulnerable of those sitting currently inside the top four. Do you think they're going to hang on? Frio for a top four or top eight? Top four. I don't think Frio will finish top four. I think that that's not they're not going to be far off the mark. I think they're going to be fifth or sixth. I, I just yeah, I I don't trust Frio. Would you would you rather Frio's sturdy defence, but lack of ability to score, or would you rather uh, Brisbane's running? I'd down rather style? Brisbane. I'm I'm far more bullish on Brisbane right now than I am on Frio because I think Brisbane have half a dozen genuine match winning players. I don't know if how many Frio have. They have Nat Fife, who we know he's a superstar player, but look, he has he, and he's coming back from injury. He hasn't looked great in the you know in the first couple of. Uh, games, Andy Brayshaw is a good player, but Andy and I and I've been I was one of the first to be raving about Andy Brayshaw, but I, even he's not the kind of player that is going to just break a game open for you. He's mm. a con- super consistent, great midfielder. And that's it, and you kind of wonder. And you know, you look at the forward line like Tabernas. Tabernas pretty consistent, like kick you a goal or two a game. Rory Lobb is so inconsistent, looks like a world beater, and then the next week he he, he just goes missing. I think there's a few players in the team at the moment that are just. To 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 use a, a Rowan Connolly word, plot uh, plotters. They're just they they're just not that good. I don't know. I I I'm happy to be proven wrong. I'm five ha- five back to his best. Monday obviously below par. I think Michael Walters will come back. And Walters help will him. be a good good get. Um, obviously Blake Akers is out at the moment as well. Who's had a really good year. But I I just think I'm I in terms of the teams. I think if I was ranking teams in order of how where I sort of see them in terms of Premiership. Chance, I, I I wouldn't have Freo in my top six. There you go, an elimination final beckons for the Dockers. You heard it here first. Uh, moving on to uh, something a little bit more positive, although interpret it the way that you want to. The Pies uh, have won five in a row now. That's the first time they've done that since 2019. Um, they're looking the goods, but something that probably wasn't good about their win was the fact that they kicked 11 goals and 22 behinds, uh, and they won the game despite... GWS kicking more goals, so they finished with 12 goals and five behinds. That was a weird one. We thought we'd ask Christian Jolie uh, about how often this happens, how often a team kicks more goals and loses, as the Giants did on the weekend. It was an 11-point loss, despite them kicking one more goal. Does this happen often, Christian? Yeah, so more goals and lost uh, was the third time this year that it's happened. So uh, Adelaide in round one lost to Frio by a point and kicked one more goal. Um, across the game and round six Bulldogs lost uh, it was a one point loss as well to the Crows in Ballarat which mm. Josh Dunkley spoke about last week um, about you know if that was the one game he could have back it's probably the one you take back to. they lost by one point by kicking one more goal so it has happened twice before this year but again looking at such a big mar- in terms of a double digit margin um, as you said finishing with one fewer goal but winning by 11 points Collingwood so that's the fourth time um, a team's kicked fewer goals but won by more than 10 points since 2004. Hmm. So okay. two of those games have come against the Giants. So Richmond beat the Giants in round 12, 2012. Giants kicked 12-2. Richmond beat them with 11-20. Um, and then Richmond had it happen to them. So they got beaten by 12 points by Hawthorne um, in round 6, 2008. They kicked 15-4 that got beaten by Hawthorne, who kicked 14-22. Um, and another one, Geelong beat Sydney 9-5 to 8-23. 
so that's one goal and, yeah, losing by double digits. There's actually been uh, four teams that have kicked two goals or more um, and not one in the last uh, <laughs> 10 ridiculous. years. That's so two, two losses and two draws. So there's two teams that have kicked two more goals and drawn with their team. But, um, yeah, again, going back to GMHBA and how it's a bit unfair that they've got this venue, Geelong also get this this uh, weird one as well in terms of Richmond scored 12-6 against them, but Geelong still won with 10-22. Uh, so two more goals for Richmond, but a loss. And then Brisbane, 2013, round 23, down at GMHBA in one of their you know 13 straight losses down there. They got beaten by Geelong. They scored 17-9, but Geelong still got the game done, got uh, the four points, was kicking 15-22. So, yeah, the two teams that have... The, most recent teams, you know, that have won twice without kicking with two fewer goals in their opposition were both Geelong. Good research there. I like it. There you go. Who said goal kicking was important? Yeah, a few people. <laughs> uh, moving on to our favourite segment here, guys. Uh, got to wrap it up shortly. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole. So this is the segment where I'll say a statement and you guys will tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm just speaking in a bit of hyperbole. Christian, we'll start with you. Mate, seven PM Friday night games should be here to stay. Uh, I loved it, and I've actually booked tickets for uh, oh. Friday night's game, Carlton St Kilda. Take my kids to their first game, and my biggest worry is seven fifty is way too low. I reckon we'll get on the train, we'll get there at about eight o'clock. They'll be ready to come home and ruin my whole night. So <laughs> I'd be much, uh, much more confident going to the footy at seven o'clock. But this week, sitting on the couch. Um, I was yeah, it worked out perfectly for me because there is a lot of times where I get to six thirty, seven o'clock on Friday night, and it's almost like well, if footy doesn't start now, it's almost like well, I'm going to end up doing something else mm, and mm. get distracted by. It. But seven o'clock, sit, uh, kids finished uh, school early because of school holidays and that. We had dinner and we were just ready to watch footy by seven o'clock. And as I said, we'd love it for this week, but even I'll, I'll meet you sort of halfway seven twenty. I think seven twenty should be the starting time. Seven fifty. Everyone's been saying the same. I'm the yeah. same. It's too late. Don't know why we need to have different start times for uh, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. They should all night games start them at seven twenty, seven twenty-five. I think that's good. There's probably a commercial aspect to it as well. Yeah, I'm sure there is, but it's still annoying. Hey, question for you. Um, yes. Nat Five was he lucky to avoid a suspension for his umpire contact? No, he wasn't lucky because I think common sense prevailed in this in this instance. So, yeah, look, you look at it and he was clearly nudged by a Carlton player and then he had to instinctively put out his arm for balance. So, if, to me, it didn't really matter who was standing in the umpire's position. They were going to be subject to a Nat Fife little fend-off. So, mm-hmm. I'm glad he was let off because I think common sense needs to prevail here. There was no malice. He wasn't being demonstrative to the umpire. Yeah. I think we can let it go. There was one little thing, though, that makes me wonder, was he putting his arm out for balance? He, did, if, if you do that and you didn't mean to do it and it was balance, wouldn't you just say, oh, so- sorry for that, knowing it's the umpire? He just put his hand out and then kind of walked off, like he looked a bit frustrated. I'm not saying it deserves suspension, but the argument that he got pushed by Matt Cottrell and he just went straight into him, eh, I don't know if no, I... There's a bit more to it, I guess yeah. you, you are right, but still, it's not a Toby Green instance of he was being demonstrative and he almost shoulder-charged an umpire. Of course it's not. Toby Green would get 20 weeks for it. <laughs> I, I would have been up in arms if Nat Fife copped a suspension. So I understand contact to an umpire regardless probably needs to have... Yeah. You know, people think it needs some sort of sanction. Maybe it's just an automatic fine, but I think in this case, I'm pretty happy that... Uh, he won't be missing any footy for something so minuscule. Jake, mm-hmm. Tyson Stengel is the recruit of the year. Uh, 
He is for the Cats, but I don't think he is overall. And I know he's prob- of, of all recruits, he's probably the only one right this moment that would be in the All-Australian team if the season ended this moment. But I think it's George Hewitt. And it's not just me saying that as a Carlton supporter. I, I was a little bit... It is, bit, though, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I, I was a little... I was critical. Not so much critical, but I was a little... I, I didn't expect him to be this good of a player. And not only is he has he become a really, really good player for Carlton, he's become so consistent. His numbers... I don't, you know, if you go back and just... Go and have a look online, just his year, what he's done. Every, he plays the same game every single week. It's 28 disposals. It's you know six or seven clearances. It's a lot of contested ball. It's tackling. It's working hard both ways. He's just a great... He, he complements the Carlton midfield so well. And that's what that's what the Blues have done well in the last few years. Because with Cripps and Walsh and uh, Kennedy, Chera uh, and Hewitt, they all complement each other. They all offer something different. Um, remember with Melbourne a few years ago, the criticism was they're all the same player in mm. Melbourne's midfield. I, that's what I really like about the Blues. They're all they all provide something different, and they're all they're all at a good age, I think. So no, I, I, George Hewitt would be my my pick. George Hewitt's up there for me. I almost put him number one as well. So he's number one in the comp for centre bounce clearances. So you sort of talk about that's freed up Cripps and allowed Walsh and Cripps to do different ones. But one that's probably slipped a little bit under the radar. I mean, we talked Stengel. We probably talked about Will Brody earlier in the year. Jordan Dawson, Paddy McCartan. Again, yeah, just to yeah. plug him into the back line to talk about in his role, he's the number one in the comp for intercept marks. Is that so right? So they've, they've inserted this guy and said, all right, can you take some intercept marks for us? Like, how about I just be the best in the comp at it? So mm. same as Hewitt being the best in the comp at centre bounce clearances. If, anytime you can bring in a recruit that ends up number one in a key stat, yeah. you've got to put a big tick. So yeah, I'd have Paddy McCartan or George Hewitt. Certainly been some good recruits this season. There's no doubt about that. Uh, guys, we've got to wrap it up. So, Hey, before we go, honestly... What do you got? You, you've, you've done a very good job, Mr. Barker. I'm very Thank impressed. Thank honestly, you. well done. Who needs Matt Walsh? Who needs him? You can stay over in Italy, Matt Walsh. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll uh, not be averse to that idea. Um, footy tips. Get your footy tips in. So, yeah, the season's sort of cranking up now, getting into mm. the, the home stretch of the season. Starts with, I think it's... Is it Brisbane th- and the Bulldogs Thursday night? That's yes. Big game regardless for both clubs. Uh, as well so get your tips in guys thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN footy pod wherever you get your podcasts